<laughs> you get to the end. Oh shit, I wasn't recording. Yeah, no, I have done that in one of the previous ones. I think we got like five minutes into the episode review and I went, I didn't press the button, guys. Like, <laughs> oh, I shit. don't. Did you press the button? Yeah. Okay, I, press, I have pressed the button. Pull the string! Pull the string! That's a good movie. It's amazing. Edward, yeah. Anyway, welcome everyone to Star Trek Trek Trek, uh, our continuing review of Star Trek episodes as they come along. We are continuing our voyage of the pilots of Star Trek with Star Trek Enterprise's very own Broken Bow, the start of the prequel era of Star Trek and the beginning of the end of the the TNG era, as it were. Describe the Berman and Braga era of Star Trek uh, of Star Trek shows. Uh, yeah, and we've just finished watching uh, Broken Bow, the four of us, and have I think a fair amount to say about this. Um, fun facts. Let's always start with the fun facts. Excuse me a second. This was this is somewhat fun. It's somewhat interesting, mildly fun. James L. Conway was the director. Would you like to know some mm. of the other things that he has directed in his long illustrious Star Trek directing career? Started off with Justice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, also did uh, the Thirty Sevens as well. But oh. actually, no. Oh, I see. He's a man with pedigree. I see. He's a man with pedigree. But actually, to be fair, there's a lot of good stuff on it. Frame of Mind. Uh, du- yeah, duet, and one of your like stars, mm. the way of the warrior, little green oh, men, apocalypse rising, okay. and also in a mirror darkly. So he's had ups and downs, some good ones, some bad ones, a lot of good ones. To be fair, so James L. Conway was the director for these episode uh, for these this two. To be fair, I'm thinking of the ones you mentioned that are bad, and the direction was not the problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, if anything, that scene of uh, Wesley falling into the flower bed and nearly getting killed by the society was actually about this long. Yeah. Oh, that. Justice. That was Justice, yeah. yeah. Wow, I'd completely blocked that from memory. I can see They'll that. make look at the drop of a hat. Yeah. And we are joined <laughs> by Enterprise expert racing liners this week. So, racing, welcome. <laughs> Thank you for Hello. joining us. <laughs> nice to actually be on a show when I say I'm going to be on it. <laughs> Yay. And as always, we racing have... Racing liners, yeah. No, go on. No, go continue with your, 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 your No, it's fine. As always, we have Shy and Stars. That's literally all I was going to say <laughs> as we go through this. Yeah, what are we, chop meat? <laughs> <laughs> and also, I think you'll find the correct term is enterpriseologist. Thank you. Uh, yes, archer enthusiast. Heard you. I mean, yes. I did yeah. not make this hat for nothing. No, you did not. Yeah. It was a fancy hat. For those that are for podcast listeners, uh, racing is wearing an absolutely fantastic recreation of the hat that Archer wears as he inspects the Enterprise, uh, the the baseball cat. Um, guys, like yeah, oh, for, guys so, and for subscribers, for, so, just yeah. just to show how much of a expert racing liners is during the the watch through that we just did that you can watch if you're a subscriber. Uh, she would recite alongside the, the lines that are being spoken. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I have seen it that often. <clears throat> so, as I said in the pre-show, uh, me and my family, we are currently re-watching Enterprise right now. Oh, wow. Uh, we're just on mm. the start of Series 2, so mm. Broken Bad was very This is very fresh. Anyway, but yeah. I love it anyway. It's, uh, it's actually Broken Bow and Emissary are probably my two favorite series openers. Trek. Mm-hmm. Maybe an interesting choice for some people, but I I can I see it. They're neat. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, so. Marge. <laughs> the, the potato Star <laughs> pilots. <laughs> um, my first question really is, okay, so we're coming off the back of 
you know, we've had, you know, excellent DS9 has finished with this Dominion War arc. Mm. Voyager is home. We've got home. And now we've, mm. we've had this sort of very sort of upswing of 24th century, sort of we've established the politics sort of all the different kind of ways Starfleet is integrated in society. And now we're going all the way back, you know, after the World War Three, 2151, when this is set. Like, what were your guys' reactions when it aired or when you first watched it or when you first heard about Enterprise to what you thought this series was going to be versus what it actually turned out to be. You want to pick someone or... Uh, racing, go? go on racing. I'll, I'll, I'll oh, right, okay. Speak, speak so, to the, what was your first exposure to Enterprise? Well, caveat that um, I was very little when Enterprise mm. first aired. No, mm. I didn't actually watch it until I actually properly got into Star Trek as a teenager. Mm. Um, and there was a TV channel on, on at the time uh, that did Star Trek that did star trek reruns and um obviously my mum would watch it a lot and then i finally got into it and then the first one i started paying attention to was enterprise um i had no idea i just went to it into it like blind um because the only thing i had like off the back of in terms of like my trek knowledge was very vague memories of tng reruns in the early 2000s on bbc2 mm. um you know just captain picard prancing around space um, skin and evil, although like skin and evil is very burned into my memory. Oh, okay, yeah. Not uh, prancing in anyway, that episode. So, like, so um, I had absolutely no, I like, I, I literally just had the title to go off of, um, and I just, I and like, kind of like looking back on it now, I always find it quite interesting because watching all the other treks, it didn't kind of feel achievable. Like, you know, like humanity's at peace and we all like each other and racism is gone and stuff like that and mm. it just felt a bit like unless you're a vulcan <laughs> unless you're a vulcan <laughs> but then you know i you know i always said like one of the reasons why i like enterprise is that it's the kind of bridge between where society is now and then where um society is in tos onwards and like the to me the whole point is that they're not perfect you know, Archer does start out as a bit of a dick. Uh, <laughs> you know, some say um, he never then, stopped. <laughs> but then, but like you even see in this, um, like, like by the end of the episode, like he kind of recognizes, like, I've kind of got some shit that I need to work through, and maybe Vulcans aren't terrible asshats that have been holding us back the whole time because, you know, like. I think it was a case of like expectations versus reality in terms of what Starfleet at the time thought space exploration would be like. And like, no, mm. here's what it's actually like. People are going to shoot at you because they don't know you. They don't like you. They see you as a threat. Um, you know, it's not all, ooh, nebulas, moons, planets. What fun. This is lovely. It's like, no, like deep space is scary shit. It's serious mm. shit. And, you know, and they all kind of grow and it's not just the human characters you know vulcans unlearn a lot of shit too um andorians a little bit of tellerites but alas we don't see much of tellerites which is mm. a shame that you know they kind of get the short end of the stick in trek really less um so yeah sorry i've kind of gone on a bit of a tangent <laughs> <laughs> we are we are the here for you you are the enterpriseologist yeah yeah <laughs> uh, so to go back to your previous point you know like what did i expect enterprise to be like i had no idea because trek was so new to me and i was just like okay. along for the ride and you know i 
loved seeing all these characters, you know, I loved seeing them all learn and, you know, A, make mistakes and B, shit, I've made a mistake and I'm going to learn from that and I'm going to try and be a better Starfleet officer because of it. Um, you know, I, you know, obviously I do have to save the caveat, of course. Yes, Enterprise is flawed. It's not perfect. Um, and I think there is a lot of reasons for that. Maybe people get onto that in like later on. But um, yeah, I just... And and plus, um, you know, the fact that we'd seen like 23rd century, 24th century, like the birth of the Federation had always been mentioned, like, mm. you know, like in the in like a sort of caveat, but we never really got to see it. And I think something in a franchise that is so monumentous, I, you know, it should have the airtime to be like, OK, here's how the Federation happened. Um, and I really love that because, um, you know, like as a, you know, like you see all these different species come together for various reasons and start something very cool because of it okay how about you stars so ah. you're, you're, i think you're in the same kind of uh league as racing like you came obviously you didn't watch it when it first aired was was, was enterprise oh, no, I did. so you watched enterprise as it aired you were that i remember was... sitting right, down or okay. being sat down rather to watch <laughs> you because my this. dad was a massive Star Trek fan. Like, I uh, think I've told the story before about on Christmas, I was given a copy of the original Star Trek encyclopedia that was went up to season six of DS9 yeah. and oh, wow. season five of Voyager. Um, it didn't it didn't go further than that. He had, like, a little addendum for season six of DS9 and stuff, like, where it's like, this is all the new content that's come out. Um, and then I got given an Enterprise phase pistol for Christmas one, uh, one year. It came with a little like, uh, communicator. So I remember sitting down, <clears throat> and it was—I um, was like, "This isn't what I remember from Star Trek. You know, this doesn't have the bald man. It doesn't have the the, the <laughs> man with the the, the head ridges. Or oh, there's that guy's got head ridges, but he's different." Um, <laughs> Not and as I remember distinctly watching. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, I remember watching Broken Bow. Um, when I went through uh, Enterprise not long ago with my boyfriend and uh, best friend Marie. Um, we were like, I was like, I remember this episode, I remember that episode, I don't remember this, don't remember this. So I must have caught a few episodes after it. Um, at the time, I remember thinking, okay, these are all recognized to be the same formula. I recognize these people as being in the same lineage as someone like Picard or Worf or, you know, Rika. But I did recognize at the time that it was very much in its infancy, that things looked different, they looked more primitive, they couldn't have the same solutions to same things. Um, but growing up, I did not have as strong a memory of it as, um, I do of it now, or having gone through and watched it all with, like, hindsight, and it just didn't stick in my brain as much as TNG or DS9 did, um, partly because it's just a case of I didn't gel with the characters initially. They are not characters that are immediately sort of gel onable, I don't feel like, because they take a while to grow and come into their own. Like Trip, for example, I wouldn't say is remotely fully formed until like at least season one or two. Like they're still you know, I think I remember reading about the writers, they said we hadn't quite figured out what we were doing with these characters until the end of season one at least. Um and looking back on it now, I really it was interesting you said the prequel era idol, because this really did kind of, even though Enterprise got cut short and it was never really the darling of the fandom. It was always either TOS, TNG, and mm. then eventually DS9 became the critical darling, as it were. Um, Enterprise was always the kind of the black sheep, and then Discovery came along, and then it became the black sheep. <laughs> um, 
Lovely. And I feel like Enterprise has gotten a bit of a, a re sort of um, assessment as time has gone on. <laughs> I think it's because. In all of its flaws and no, all of its no, strengths. No matter which universe you look at, whether you look at Kelvin Universe or Prime Universe, Enterprise is there part of each canon because that's where it splits yeah. off. So whether you're transporting yeah. Admiral Archer's dog into a netherworld, you know, it's still there. Um, yeah. Shai, h- how about you? Like, um, if, if you looked at. Um, Enterprise from when you first saw it, like what were your expectations? Like how did you feel coming from these twenty fourth century shows to this sort of like almost like a little bit of a departure from the norm? Yeah, I uh, with TNG and then DS Nine and Voyager, there's a sort of sameness about the production quality, right? Mm. Like the set design is very the same. You get the same acudograms on everything. Uh, you know, the, the ship design is pretty much the same. So I really appreciated the departure. Uh, from you know day one on Enterprise, even even with the much maligned theme song, <laughs> you know I, I appreciated the break from a purely instrumental instrumental theme, and the montage is great. Hmm. Uh, no, you no. know people can debate the whether the song beautiful. whether the hmm. song is worthwhile. Um, yeah, things were rougher, a little more rough and tumble. The, the ship design is very much sort of extrapolated from what you would see on NASA or Navy ships. Mm. Yeah. Or yeah, like Racing that. mentioned, like, on the International Space Station, the, the sort of equipment design you see on in those uh, uh, vessels. So it, it, there was a lot. And it was, uh, you know, this doesn't maybe aged well, but it, it was a lot sexier than, <laughs> than the, uh, yeah. the 23rd century, 24th century shows till then like they they were trying to push that boundary which i appreciated as a as a you know 20 30 something man with a lizard brain (laughs) (laughs) you know like sex sold to me to a certain degree at that that point and upn was like let's stick people in the cat suits and and it kind of worked um Let's show people in their underwear rubbing gel on each other. That'll that's right. Great that's right. I was going to come to the decon scene, but yeah, let's yeah. <laughs> but yeah, just no. just just the attempt to depart from from the norm. Like it was a little mm. more cinematic, especially like that first uh, away mission on on Rigel. Mm. It's Rigel, right? Is that the name? Yeah, yeah. Rigel. Yeah, Rigel Ten. Yeah, they actually <laughs> built like a nice, sizable set. You, you got some good action set pieces in there. Like in a, in a and I think they were we were debating whether or not they had actually aired this in widescreen format. Initially, but it did have more of a cinematic feel to it. Mm. So yeah, I think I remember. But you idle. Yeah, I was gonna say I remember. So, like, you know, me, I had a couple of friends who were also Star Trek fans, and we were watching the DS9 finale, and then getting around to the Voyager finale, and then sort of kind of going, oh, this new show's coming on. This is when, like, a few of us had, I think, like, two of us in the village had Sky. So, like, we'd always go, it's like, no, seriously, it was that rule. You were the only like, Star Trek fans in the village? Yeah, no, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Daffet. Um, <laughs> um, so, you know, we'd end up sort of going around, someone's like, asking someone's dad, like, can, can we use your Sky tonight at nine o'clock so I can watch? the new Star Trek series coming on like yeah okay we're fine oh, watch yeah. it in and I remember watching it going like obviously you go what the fuck was this theme song and then you get excited because oh it's all CG because it's like oh wow this is the first computer, fully computer generated thing and then kind of watching it thinking like yeah this is an interesting idea and I remember sort of feeling like 
is is are they trying too hard with the kind of like oh this is a prequel everything's a little bit simpler i mean love the set design the set design was one of the best things about it like mm. I remember looking at that and going yeah this looks like something that could be pre-tos this and this is what sort of derided a lot of people about sort of discovery and moving forward it's like oh it looks too futuristic to be post-tos or post enterprise i'm like no but you know enterprise makes a lot more sense because it, thematically it's great but I remember watching it, and then I think I remember watching it stopping after, like, just before season one finished, and kind of going, I'm going to take a break from Trek for a few years, so I think that's kind of responsible for me stopping for a few years, but um, I did then pick it up later on, and then realised actually the later series were great, but I have, uh, I had... When I had insomnia, I had. I've told the story before, but for those that aren't familiar, I have. When I had insomnia, I had a, a long play VHS tape with. I think it's the first six or seven episodes of Enterprise, and I used to <laughs> like. And to, in order to try and get to sleep, I used to put that VHS. It also had like six episodes of Blackadder on it as well. So I knew if I got up to the Blackadder, I wasn't getting any sleep that night. But usually, by about the third or fourth ep- episode of Enterprise, I was sleeping <laughs> and I was out. So that used to be the one thing. <laughs> So the you know, the first sort of series I remember very intimately, and Shy is putting on a very nice jacket. Oh, oh look at that! Oh wow, it's, that's oh, amazing. That's it's actually yes, it's actually slightly my hat. <laughs> it's slightly cold here, <laughs> so I'm actually putting it on. For oh, let me just put on oh, this old thing. Yeah. <laughs> this oh, it's just my NASA jacket. Yeah, from when I was in space. <laughs> um. Okay, let's let's go for uh, our best or best best and worst moments. And since this is your first time on the wheel racing, please give us your best and worst moments of Broken Bow. Oh gosh, that's actually quite hard. Um, well, I know my worst is the decon chamber. Just, ugh, I hate it. It, it, so it much. was something that decon chamber scene really. It was <sighs> most honestly like oh, and like this is it. this is not a. In a, in a non-perverted sense, I wasn't really listening to what either of them were saying because I was just in oh. shock of, like, what's going on? We're just watching people rub each other down. Like, here's a shot of Trip's ab, ab muscles. Here's a shot of DePaul's navel. <laughs> like, it's like... why? But why do you use gel in the 22nd century? Showers like, exist. Yeah. yeah. Even the Klingons can look at a, a, D, a, a piece of microchip on DNA. And, anyway, sorry. Not to hijack your uh, moment, but go on. Sorry, yeah. So that's the worst. Just put mm-hmm. it in the bin. Don't even recycle it. Just just incinerate it, you know. Just, mm. just get rid of it. In terms of best... Oh, gosh, that's hard. Uh, I mean, there are lots of... The, like there's lots of little parts of Broken Bow that I really like. I like. I love when you get to see the NX01 for the first time. Hmm. Um, I love that scene where Forrest is giving his speech and the senior staff are all going onto the bridge, and you have Archer's theme playing in the background. Like that's beautiful. Um, I think uh, if I really had to narrow, it, like, um, like I really, you know, I I said this as we were watching it, like that final scene in archer's ready room where archer and Tacola are speaking to us you know like the mission has been a success you know hooray they did it um they've stopped um the klingon houses from having a big old wall and um you know they got the better of the Sulaban and all that and you know but it's not that 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 they talk about it's the fact that archer owns up you know i you know i said this earlier but he's like you know what i was wrong i was wrong about you 
like you're the part of the re you know like when he speaks to DePaul like he tells DePaul like you know you're part of the reason why we were able to pull this off and I'm very grateful because some of us could have died you know um and he owns up like you know yeah I was prejudiced against you and that wasn't right and I need to work on that and I have a lot of other stuff that I need to work on but I want to better myself for the sake of you know and it's probably you know like it like you know and I really like that from him because as I said, like, at, especially, like, at the start of the episode, he's a dick to, to Paul. Like, he's saying, oh, I'm two seconds away from knocking you on your ass. It's like, shut up, Jonathan. Engage your brain cells for two seconds. Christ. Um, yeah, and, like, I, you know, so, like, that is probably my favorite. But, you know, I do love all the little crew interactions because, like, you know, like, for me personally, you know, like, the reason why I watch Star Trek is not because I love the franchise. It's because I love the characters and the crew and just seeing them getting to work together and so seeing them meet each other for the first time and like work with each other you know you do get the kind of warm fuzzies just like oh they're gonna go on their great adventure and it's really nice uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i'd say that would be my best and worst okay stars so uh i have maybe an unconventional pick my best mm. and worst is the same scene um it is the briefing in San Francisco next in Starfleet Medical, um, because I absolutely love um, the conversation that Saval, I think his name is Commander Williams, um, and like uh, Saval, Topol, Flox in the in the surgical room, and then Archer are having about the, where humanity is going to go from this point forward. Because in some ways, that is the season five climax of a show we never got. Hmm. Um, that is the vestiges of the original concept for Enterprise, where it was going to be season one. We're not even going to launch the ship. It's going to take entirely on on Earth. Yeah, not, it's not called Star really? Trek. It's just yeah, called, that yeah was it was going to be premises. all on Earth. It was gonna be, this entire broken bow premise was going to be stretched out over an entire season, and they were going to be like, "We need to assemble a crew. We need to get stuff. Go How do we get Could the you ship imagine? going?" Like oh way this, more. this is this that. is back when they were talking about this isn't Star Trek series. This is just going to be called yeah. Enterprise. They were going to Enterprise. I think like yeah. they were going to be very radical about the approach of it. I think, and probably until Rick Berman wow. came. Oh, I think the license came yeah. along when. No, you're making a Star Trek series, right? And they went, okay, maybe yeah, we can't do yeah. that. It's, it's a shame yeah, that that's... this came out before Lost, because Lost would have solved yeah. the Lost format would have solved all that for them. They could have launched yeah, and then did okay. flashback to assembling, like, <laughs> assembling yeah. the, the team and everything. Exactly. It's like I, I really appreciate it because, like you say, it's it's this glimpse at a part of the Star Trek franchise we don't get to see very often, which is a life on Earth. We get that in very small glimpses. Um. And it's Earth pre-space travel, really. We, yeah, we've left the solar system maybe once or two or three or times, but we've been on training wheels. We've never had our own independent ship. That's the reason why it's the NX-01. Um, and having this conversation spurred by, you know, this random alien incursion, and then it's like, well, where is humanity going to go from there? And it's like, I like the idea of that decision being made at night in San Francisco in a surgical bay because of one random confluence of events. Um, and Forrest, like, Vaughn Armstrong is an incredibly good performer, and he gives his all to Forrest. It's one of my favorite roles that he ever does. And, like, I really appreciate... He puts humanity's best foot forward, and 
There's a reason why he's always held up as the good admiral. It's because he believes in Starfleet's mission. He's wearing a goddamn good uniform. And he sticks up for humanity in a way that is diplomatic and good. And for the it, it, for his uh, sins, like Archer also does the thing. And then it leads into the worst. And that is Archer's immediate jump to threatening violence against a... <laughs> A f- member oh, of this like on coalition, <laughs> this, this this alliance, because it's just so boneheaded. Like the thing I object to in Archer is I do not object to the idea of having a Starfleet captain who is flawed. Every Starfleet captain is flawed in some way. You know, Picard is arrogant. Janeway is like emotionally isolated. Cisco has anger problems and is like a messiah. Um. <laughs> And then Archer's problem is that he's ignorant. And that's not his fault. It's because he's grown up in San Francisco all his life. He even says that. That's a bit of context. He's never... He's met, like, only Vulcans. We don't think he's ever met another alien, probably, until he met Phlox. And he is ignorant. And you can have that manifest in so many different ways that are interesting and that say more about the human condition... But there's something about the fact that we instantly default to I'm going to knock you on your ass because you said something I don't like that epitomizes everything I don't like about Archer as a character. And it almost feels like it's the worst possible introduction you can give a Starfleet captain. It's like, yeah, you technically get the introduction with Trip and with Archer. And that's a nice scene where they're inspecting the the NX-01. But it's immediately overshadowed, and it hangs over his character for like four years. It's yeah. such a bad foot to put forward. He should have just come out with some kind of ideological point. He's like he made the emotional point, which is valid about uh, about his father, and they, it's no worth noting. They don't have a response to that. It's like yeah, you you have like much more reduced lifespans, which is a consideration you have to take in when it's only two members of your alliance, right? It's an unequal relationship they've got going on here. All of that stuff is fascinating. But then you boil it down to, I'm going to knock you on your Vulcan ass. And it just sucks. It I speaks would, to a laziness yeah. in script writing, in my yeah. mind. I, I, um, I, I would like to slap the writer that made that creative decision. Cause exactly. Like, it just. So it, and then those problems just hang over Arch like a dark cloud. Every time he's making progress, he just backslides. And it isn't in a way that feels natural, like a character is growing beyond his ignorance and his stupidity and his, like,. I don't know shit about space travel. It feels like I need to inject conflict into the scene, so I'm going to say something stupid. And that's a bad thing to do for Archer, because like, Archer should be, by all rights, one of the most interesting captains. He's one of the first. He does not have the luxury of a handbook. But they just fall back on these like tedious writing cliches, mm. and I'm not a massive fan of it. Uh, um, quick, Shai, qu- what about you? Well, one quick aside. Do you know the three Admiral's names, or the three Starfleet personnel's names in that M7? You've got I Admiral do. Forrest, Admiral Williams. There's and... Commander Williams, and then yeah. D- uh, what is a uh, something? Um, Leonard. Yep, Leonard's. Because they're named for the TOS trio. Yep. So, William Shatner Williams. Oh! Forrest is named for D. Forrest Kelly, yeah. and then Leonard is named for um, Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. Okay. Shy. I never knew that. That's ah. I love that. It's a really cute little homage. I love it. Yeah. Shy, uh, you need to unmute. Really shy. <laughs> <laughs> that was on purpose. I'm not saying anything that makes any sense anyway. So. <laughs> um, no, I, I said it before. I think my my favorite moment is. Uh, uh, the sequence on Rigel, not just because the action is really well done and it's very mm. cinematically shot, but 
also because it sort of I wish they had done more of this on the show. It's war, mm. world building within the boundaries of what is going to be the Federation. Yeah. Like we don't get a lot of that. They're always like, we got to get strange new worlds. We got to go where no, no one has gone before. Why, why don't we go to where we've gone and have it really seen very much? You know, it's, it's go where the uh, people are. It, right. You, you I, I'd like to see more world building of uh, the, the trillion culture and more, more on mm. Vulcan and more on the, more on Andor, and they 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 get to that. You know, Enterprise Eventually. does that better than any other series, yeah. to some degree, like it, it, expanding the the Federation uh, founder founder uh, cultures. Um, but yeah, because of that, like even that little sequence where uh, Trip doesn't understand why the mother is is weaning the child off of uh, the atmosphere uh, on Rigel. I, I, li- I like that, um, mm. and of course, and of course, uh, that's tied with my other favorite scene, the uh, decon chamber scene. Uh, <laughs> but then, seeing uh, isn't mad; she's just disappointed. I, yeah, I know, I know, it's fine. I would it be the first young person I've disappointed. Um, my that's least what Archer said. I, yeah, I, I don't. I don't feel like Hoshi really finds her mm. her feet here. I, I, I never really liked the way they made Hoshi so sort of kind of timid and mm. um, sort of pessimistic to some degree. And like, I, I would have liked her to have more confidence, especially in her realm of what she was doing. Bear in mind, she had, a, she's trans- she had a commission with Starfleet already. Like, she's probably had space training. She's trained. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Like Racy right. pointed out, she knows her regs like down to a T. Yeah. So she should be like at least have her space legs, and yet she's just constantly put in the thing of I'm mm. the new ensign, I'm a bit scared skittish. Yeah. 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 Like, I, 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 oh I shit, we need a member of the cast that, you know, is you know, like has anxiety. We'll make Hoshi that one. It's like why? <sighs> yeah. Um But yeah, this was you know, you have to really remember the uh, context. This came out in late September of 2001, just like a few mm, days yeah. after uh, September 11. And so it was it's somewhat prescient because obviously they shot this in the year prior to that, uh, to those September 11th attacks. So a lot of sort of the, the like what you were just complaining about, uh, Archer just approaching uh, another culture with sort of anger and aggression actually ended up being a very interesting parallel with how America reacted to mm. to those attacks and sort of the Islamophobia attitude towards the rest of the world that they started to embrace at that time. Anyway, that's a little mm. side. Those are those are my my best and worst moments of <laughs> Um I I find it hard with this episode for me for myself to pick like a best and worst moment because like there are bits like we were laughing in the in the in the watch along, which you can watch if you're a subscriber. Um, that you know, it was, I was laughing at Clark of just his entire vocabulary range is like, blah, 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 blah. you know, we're laughing that like, and I I find like it's hard to people complain about the Discovery Klingons not speaking Klingon <laughs> properly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll take all the Kalechas on the world for for a blah, blah, blah. Um, but I feel like. This this the whole episode was kind of marred in a kind of I can't even put a word to it. There was a like 
a film of you've watched Trek before. You know what mm. this is all about. Like, we know what a transporter is. We know what space is. We know what Vulcans are. We know how they react. Like, if this was a brand new series going to air, if they were truly doing this as the what gone before when no man has gone before in Star Trek, um, this would have been approached in a slightly more mature level. But because it kind of felt like this had Brandon Braga and Rick Berman's fingers all over it, the whole episode kind of felt like this was you know almost played off as like this isn't the star trek you know this is the same formula but with uh, a different technology in a different era that made it feel i can't, I can't put words to it it's really strange like it, it, you know they talk about oh here's my phase pistol here's my communicate here's my transporter and here's how we're dealing I, with I universal languages at the first point and what, it felt what you're struggling with yeah. is the attempt to break out of the formula while still staying rigidly adhering yeah. to the formula. And also kind of like they're trying to call back to things that are call forwards, if you know what I mean. Like yeah, they're cool saying forwards, to everyone, yeah. like, here's a phase pistol, a wink, wink, nudge, you know what this is. And there's a little bit I could have done without that in, in, in the episode as a whole. So kind of like that's kind of my worst moment is kind of like, Instead of kind of going, like, taking a deep dive and saying, we have this new technology, let's, you know, break it out, or even just kind of going, like, oh, we're just using the pulse pistol. Like, before, when Enterprise is just using the little pulse, like, lasers, and, like, they're using their little yeah. pulse phasers. I would have loved them to stock that for the entire series, and then maybe, like, a Lewis Zimmerman will come along and go, we've got this new phaser, and they make a bit of an episode out of it, the same way, like, Trip does with the force field, which is actually kind of a cool moment later in the series. But Please read, yeah, it, yeah, I don't know. It it feels like what is kind of a common complaint with Enterprise, sort of like moving forward, is like it doesn't feel like it does anything new with the formula. In fact, you know, um, I feel like part of the problem is is that the, it's slightly in the way that it approaches it. Because when you're talking about that kind of stuff, I think of the way that they did it in Discovery season two. Like, do you remember that moment when Leland taps his comb hedge and they're oh, like, what yeah. the hell kind of communicator <laughs> yeah. is that? And it's Even so that, more though. naturalistic. Yeah. No, because it's so much more naturalistic. It isn't called attention to. It is a character in universe being like, what the fuck is that? It's not the camera framing yeah. it in such a way that like, mm. wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you know what this is. It takes your brain a second to realize Wait, yeah, that is weird. That is weird in the context of things. That's why that, as a prequel, like not not mm. works better. Whereas everything in Enterprise is very much leaning on it. It's like we're leaning on the transporter because we're going to make a gag about it later, being like you know, oh, which is hilarious. It is like I got back like, actually hell out of that thing, but yeah, it's a case of it's a little bit too. It's mugging for the camera a little bit in terms of some of its prequel elements. Like some of its prequel elements are so well done that it's incredible, but some of them it's just like kind of mugging at the camera. I feel like. Mm. But do you have a best moment? Either? I do. Flocks uh, is first introduced. It first oh, introduction yeah. to Flocks, and then moving on with the scene with him in medical bay, going over his osmotic eels and everything. Like anything, anything Flocks in this episode is just gold. Like you talk about hit mm. the ground running with a characterization. Like I feel like they're finding their feet with everyone else except John Billingsley is just named flock straight away like he's got it he's yeah. even yeah he's there with that yeah yeah because um i um i of course i'm an avid viewer of the shuttle pod show with uh Dominic and connor trinney and uh on one of the episodes they mention uh john billingsley the fact that he was only that like like every episode he would only be on set for about two days and he just steals it every single time which is yeah, so accurate yeah. because i just <laughs> i i love flux so much he's just like 
Flock like, epitomizes everything feels... that's good about Enterprise. Yes, like, mm. because this thing is like, like, when you see him, like, he feels alien, but mm. not in a bad way, you know? It's not yeah. like, oh, this guy's weird, you know? It's like, yeah, like, he's a bit kooky, but that's just how he is. But we love our quirky um, characters on Star Trek. It's how yeah. he genuinely is. We, yeah. we like our quirky characters on Star Trek. We love Phloxes. We love the Sarus. We love the Wharfs. Mm. You know, we love the people mm. that kind of show humanity back through a light in a kind of unique way that makes us laugh or think or feel emotion in some degree. And I think Phlox definitely takes the humor side of it until he gets his sort of serious side to it. Mm. Yeah, and no, I definitely agree with that. Optimism, Captain. <laughs> and then the big CGI. Yeah, the CGI smile. Yeah, the CGI smile. Maybe we could yeah. have done without, but it is cute. Yeah. So yeah, the the end. The Enterprise itself. I mean, this was. I remember thinking like, having watching Voyage. You know, we'd gone from TNG to DS9 to Voyager, and then we went to Enterprise. I mean, I remember thinking myself like, oh right, they're doing Enterprise or channeling on the name, and oh gosh, they're inventing another Enterprise previously in the timeline. Fine, but what did you guys think of the actual design and the use of the name Enterprise? as sort of a flagship um, design. Like, bearing in mind, I've made humorous comments to say, oh, it's an upside-down Akira, can't blah, blah, blah. But actually, I, I quite like it. But guys, what, what do you think of the actual ship itself and the design for a sort of a, a pre-TOS ship? She's beautiful. <laughs> I love, like, um, you know, obviously we've said this during the watch-through and Shai kind of reiterated, like, the design, like, you know, um. Like, the interior design is just so fucking cool. Mm. Like, it's, you know, like, you know, it just, to reiterate what everyone, like, it really feels like a predecessor to the 23rd century tech. Like, you know, like, you have to push a button to open the door. And, um, you know, you have to push lots of buttons to do anything. And mm. so Paul has, like, her little, like, science thingy, scope. Like, yeah. like, science <laughs> scope from TOS, which is a lovely nod. Hoshi has her earpiece. Which is different from Uhura's, but like it's still that kind of like it's reminiscent, you know, yeah. like it, like that, like those two are one of those cool forward things done well, mm. because like you know they're, so they don't call attention to it. Yeah, like it, like it's mm. just kind of there, like it, you know, like it's just part of Topol or Hoshi's workspace as their job mm. as science officer and communications and linguist. Um, yeah, like you know, like the feel of NX01, it's very much this hybrid of like a naval submarine and the International Space Station, mm. and it 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 just looks amazing. And um, yeah, and I I and and like in terms of the design of the ship of the whole, I I really like it because you know she's the NX01 is small, and you know it said that like they only have like eighty three officers mm. compared to the hundreds of officers that the Enterprises in the future have. Um, and you know, which which kind of makes sense for the time. Like this is the first Earth ship that's going to be exploring deep space. Like, like you know, it's just like a small little plucky starship against the universe. Um, well, apart from all those boomers that are out there. <laughs> apart from all the boomers. Uh, <laughs> okay, boomer. Um, <laughs> yeah, and like the engineering set is amazing yeah like, I have to give credit you know for that. like at stars said that it actually looks like an engine yeah mm. it like, looks like a v8 you know, like this is the v8 of a starship like, like you can see the pistons pumping at the side trips there with the wd-40 the cool like glow yeah. light and stuff and oh yeah i just um like like you know like 
enterprise bias aside, um, like the NX01 is absolutely one of my favorite mm. from a design point of view. She's gorgeous. She's so beautiful. So, <laughs> when it comes <laughs> to the NX01, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's valid. <laughs> I think that, um, so the I have one problem with the NX01, uh, and that is the nacelles, and it's arguably not their fault. Because uh, you see in the, in the every moment in the intro, you get that awesome first contact where, where it's like, hey, look, that's the ICBM launching as the Phoenix. And then it unfolds to reveal the TOS style nacelles. And the problem is that they didn't kind of, they wanted to put a visually distinct nacelle style on the NX1. So you've got more of that, that kind of LED effect with the, the Boussard collectors and things. But it causes this continuity problem of the Phoenix has TOS style nacelles, but then they, the NX01 doesn't. So and then it goes back to the uh, TOS style ones. Yeah, the Constitution um, was a throwback. They, they, they did it for the retro style. Didn't yeah, they? it was retro styling. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's like arguably my only problem with it because I love that it looks skeletal. It does not have a secondary hull. It mm. is a saucer with engines attached to it. It's more uh, akin to the Shenzhou or Reliant than it is to a proper Enterprise because it doesn't have an engineering hull. Mm. Like you have the struts, you have the all like sensor bay, or I think also the shuttle bay is like it's like that's it. It feels bare bones, and like that combined with that nautical feel, not just on the interior design, which has that kind of batten down the hatches feel, but also just. It has an almost completely different hull design than almost any other Enterprise. It's way more industrial. Like you look at that, it's like, yeah, no, that is plating that has been hefted in place and, like, you know, not welded. I imagine they have, like, some kind of space welding that they do. Um, space welding. But it's been... Iso space welding. welding. <laughs> yeah, the structural integrity field will take care of that. Um... <laughs> And it's like, it looks so much more industrial. Like, I've heard people complain about, like, the Aztec-ing design on, like, the Discovery and whatever, which I don't agree with. I think that those designs are great. But this is both not the incredible smoothness of the uh, 1701. It's not the the, the grayscale design of the, of the Intrepid or the Galaxy or the Viant. It is something of its own that stands in between them. And I really appreciate that as a visual standpoint. Um... And it's also stuff like having the incredibly thin deflected dish that is way more reminiscent of the cage-style deflected dish, where it looks more like a, just a straight-up antenna. Um, like, all the visual design, I think, is incredible for it. I just feel like we're going to get into this like when we pick up this more, but Enterprise's main problem is that while they do a lot to characterize the ship as being a wonderful in-between step, in terms of its capabilities, it starts to backslide into being able to raised shields oh no wait sorry um 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 hull plating will be yeah, uh polarized. Hull plating, yeah. you know <laughs> stuff like that is like come on guys commit to the bit like you have to you've done a lot of good groundwork here like as that's kind of what I'm i mean like, that's so with, cool yeah, yeah when i was saying about like the whole oh it's before trek but they can't help themselves but still kind of fit into that this is why we call Enterprise part of the T. You know, we've we've spoken about this before. Like, Enterprise is part of the TNG era or the Rick Berman era of Star Trek's because it feels so similar to Voyager and TNG and the way they mm. handle the episodes. But uh, Shy, please, y your opinion. Um, at the time, I actually wasn't crazy about mm. the design mm. of this show. Like, it kind of felt. Uh, cheap and low budget to a certain degree it was it was like <laughs> i i also have stereo components you know I, I also have a i you know flat screen computer screens were new then and they just seemed like they had just tacked them onto the walls i was like i i have those 
I have that at work. I, you're not you're not surprising me with anything here. And the mm. fact that they had gone with CGI, even though at the time the CGI looked pretty good, you could you could still sense that there was something a little uh, off about the ship design. Um, yeah, but it's all really grown on me since then. This ship, it's just okay for me. Like it's not my favorite. <laughs> Fighting words. I know. I know. <laughs> I, I like kind of. Yeah. Well, you're you, I know you have a very defined opinion about Starship Born. <sighs> okay, in, in terms of the legacy of Star, our starships of the entirety of Trek, like, okay, it's, it's not my favorite. I, I think it's nice. Mm. I think what I do appreciate about it, it is, it is indicative of the style of Starship as it. it, it for the time you know it is a hull and a couple of engines like it makes sense that this would be the bare bones of 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 starfleet and if you look at other um starship designs around the era like there's that weird triangle shaped one and then there's the franklin and all kind of things they're all kind of like derivative yeah they are the catalyst of what what sort of would come uh in the future including the enterprise refit which was not seen until you know there was uh i believe it was the was it the rick sternback or uh, one of the Starship designers came up with the hull that was going to be in season five with an actual proper sort of TOS hull bolted onto the bottom, mm. which we didn't actually see in canon until season two of Picard. If you've not watched that, there was a small model on Picard's desk where he has that, that Enterprise, which finally puts it into canon. Hurrah. Um, but, you know, I, I appreciate it now for being sort of like the precursor to all Starship design in the future. But I think at the time I was a bit like, I wanted something a bit more bit more exciting at the time like you wanted like a new well, stuff also yeah it on. reminds me of like you know when they're in the motion picture and they have all those pictures of the previous enterprises on the <coughs> wall mm. and you've got like you know the sailing ship and then you start getting those fucking weird designs oh right? the xv whatever and it's like a, a load of concentric rings and it's, it's like what the hell that's like, that's, that's like, like the 2001 space odyssey like, one yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly it's like that's a way more like you know like visually distinct this is a bit okay. more of a safe pick in terms of putting it in the lineage mm. i'll give the nx01 this it it flies really good yeah like yeah in the space yeah. sequences in this battle sequences and when even when it's just at warp it looks really good mm. going through space and mm. um i actually like the whole polarization like halfway <laughs> oh it's, I'm like, it's, a, it's a cool idea but i don't like the fact that it just replaces all shield dialogue percentages yeah i'm not like, entirely sure what it means as well do they just electrify the hull but how does that stop like people shooting the shit out of it like <laughs> look well they i can the way explain it works, the science to you yeah. idol but it just takes so long <laughs> So to put things into perspective, I don't know if they actually explain it in the show, but it is based on a real scientific principle in which uh, you pass an electric current through metal in a certain way. You polarize it, and it does become stronger. Okay. Like, like when the molecules actually adhere closer together, and it Fantastic. becomes more rigid and more thing. But the problem is, when you directly translate that into shield percentages, you say... 50, a whole plating mm, is a yeah. 50%. Do you mean that you've lost 50% of the integrity? 50% of the plating has fallen off? Like, it's not like... Like, that's a line you can get away with in Season 3 when they actually start doing realistic damage mapping and it's persistent. But early on, it's just a replacement for shielding. And it's like, that's the part I, I disagree with. 
So I think a lot of this um, episode as well, we've talked a lot about sort of like the overall sort of themes of Enterprise, but the original, po- the, the plot mm. points for this episode kind of revolve around a lot of sort of getting to know the characters a little bit, um, especially Archer, Trip, and T'Pol. Um, mm. A little bit more on Hoshi as well, and we kind of get something with Mayweather and Flocks, but as much as, you know, the characters will get in a pilot to go, here they are, now they're on the ship. Um, but like the overall plot point, so we introduced to the temporal cold war, we're introduced to the Sulaban and including the odd Sulaban renegade sect. We're introduced to this group of creatures that have been enhanced from the future and already they have a renegade sect that we never hear from again. Um, and sort of like, you know, the distaste for Vulcans and humans and things like that. Do we think like, was there a little bit too much going on here? Did, did we find this was like too much thrown in on one pilot? Despite the fact that they ended up going episodic, we didn't seem to get much of a... The, the, it almost set out to say, like, ah, Temporal Cold War, we're going to do this whole serialised arc, and then dropped it. Like, would we have wanted to see more of that defined in these earlier episodes, or were you more happy that it was episode episodic as previous Star Treks? I mean, there is definitely a lot going on. <laughs> yeah. Um, You know, but, I mean, it's funny, like, like I've watched Broken Bow many times, and it's not until you've listed all those things that I've realized, like, wow, there is a lot going on. Because <laughs> I, it is somewhat well paced. Like yeah. you know, like you know, like I didn't feel like I'm being barraged with. Here's lots of stuff. Digest it very quickly. Um, like to me personally, I I feel like you know, like every pilot for and this isn't just for star trek this for any show like it's a taster you know like you want to have like all your little canapes of all your little plot points <laughs> you know so like here's our human and vulcan beef here's our temporal cold war here's our Sunaban. um here's the klingons that we don't really talk about much oh yeah yeah and the klingons in it as well being a bit scary and then like um because it's the episodic format you know they kind of dedicate either like an episode or chunks of episodes or like they kind of sort of weave those little things through the series um so like i personally don't mind it um you know because like you know like you kind of want to know what's coming next and because obviously this is this was still the era where you would have over 20 episodes a series um not Mm. 10 to 13 the way you have now um so, you know, like you, you know, because you had more episodes to play with per season, um, you know, you could afford to have your little taster bites in the pilot and then revisit them later. Um, never thought I'd be using a canopy analogy. I was going to say, this, that's quite Star a good Trek. reference that's for this. a new one. It, it's a good <laughs> reference for this episode. <laughs> it is like are the taster. Yeah. yeah. Are, are, t- are taster bites the uh, villains from the Hellraiser series? What are taster bites? <laughs> <laughs> no. That's, that's the Cenobites. Yeah, no. Um, yeah. <laughs> No, I mean like uh, this is yeah. this is the like this is the fifteen course menu of Star Trek, isn't it? You've got your Klingons, you've got your intro, you know, your, your temporal Cold War, you've got your Starfleet, you've got your Vulcans, you've got a little bit of everything just passed you in very small morsels. It doesn't quite all make sense as a set menu, but you appreciate it all the same. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> I think it's. I agree with Ray saying it's 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 assembled really well. Like this pilot's very well directed, very well paced, very mm. well produced. It doesn't have glaring plot holes like like mm. caretaker where you're like but they have warp power and they don't have water um <laughs> you know it's everything kind of makes sense in the context of everything else uh yeah you can you can quibble about 
the various motivations and like Archer's level of ignorance of of other cultures and uh, um, but yeah, it it flows really well. Mm. What so... was the question? <laughs> about sort of like the amount of law stuff that's thrown at you at once i feel yeah. like for the most part it's done quite well i especially love the setting up of the human vulcan conflict that will like kind of form the backbone of a lot of what is good about this mm. show um and what feels the most fresh and the most like oh yeah that would be a conflict because by the time we see it in tos it's like yeah it's an interpersonal issue but it's never really brought up that these are two wildly disparate cultures that have to extend. You know, they aren't just like living together on a starship. They are a planetary alliance that's been going on for centuries, and that's got problems associated with it. Um, I cannot stand the temporal cold war <laughs> for a multitude of reasons. Because here's the thing, right? It is meant to fulfill. Well, it's a prequel, so I know that the, the Federation, the, the first Starfleet ship isn't going to get blown up because we have to have a Federation type thing where it's like they feel the need to reassure you things can still happen. Things will still have weight because things from the future might change things. It's like, well, you're not going to do that because that'll render all of TNG and Voyager and DS9 irrelevant. So already you're kind of creating a a solution to a problem that doesn't really exist like i know that like the federation is going to be fine i don't really need you to try and convince me that there are stakes i'm invested in the characters like i i've talked about this problem with stakes previously in terms of like your other star trek things but i feel like it's the most acute here where it's like it's not just the universe it's not it's like the entire show may disappear if we don't do the if the crewman daniels doesn't fix the problem with archer then there won't be a federation and it's like well, I know that's not going to happen, so I have no investment. Hmm. I immediately have no investment because I know you're not going to do yeah. it. Um, and it's also a problem of it has all the subtlety of a brick to the face. You literally have a shadowy figure from the future telling mysterious guys with guns to go and fuck with time. A and there's just one, <laughs> some kind of humanoid figure, some kind yeah. of shadowy bastard. Um... <laughs> And it's just so unsubtle. It's yeah. so, look, things could change. This is the big conflict. It has no restraint. And the problem is, it's like, not only do you undermine your, your attempt to set up stakes, but you also undermine the characters. Because like what I was talking about in terms of sitting up you know, in the briefing room, this is the culmination of a five-season you know, like uh, arc of we need to get the ship going. Suddenly it turns out, oh, all of this is being affected by stuff from the future. So it's like, is this how things went in the original timeline? How different is this to what happened originally? How much of this is Archer getting help from the future? How much of this is like, how, what else has changed? Like, what was the divergence point? How much has been altered? And suddenly it starts to affect my thought of, well how much of this is a prequel and how much of this is you wanting to stay attached to the TNG era, but still, I don't know, it's it's this complicated issue where it's like, it's a lot of fluff, and it feels like a lot of justification for a prequel when you could just say, we want to do a prequel, we've not seen how the Federation was formed, just do it. Mm. Don't give me a temporal Cold War, it contributes nothing to the wider plot arc. Everything else I'm happy with, and it's introduced well and well-paced, and I feel like someone who is brand new to the franchise can understand it, but the Temporal Cold War is just so badly thought out. 
Yeah, that's yeah. a that's a third season thing you throw in. Like, yeah, you, you jump yeah. into a temporal cold, or like later once you've established your characters and there's some stakes. Mm. Maybe there is like, there's like, a war. Yeah, yeah. some leak conflict. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, like, we have enough na- breakfast yet. Right. Yeah, we have, we have enough naturalistic conflict between the humans and the Vulcans, the Vulcans and the humans, between the Suliban and the other Suliban, between the humans and the Sul- We've got all these factions here, and then you suddenly throw in this ill-defined faction that we have no faith, literally have no base for. And they didn't. And ever. we have yeah. Well, and then Daniels is the most generic white guy possible, and it's like, well, <laughs> how am I meant to be attached to this? If you were well. going to do this, if you were going to do this... It should have been way more subtle. It should have been, hey, here's Sulik. He is a Suliban. We don't know what Suliban are. These are unknown aliens to us. He's gotten a message. Oh, it's from the usual source. Like, you have to go and intercept this person. They'll be at that time. How do you know that? We just know. And then you start establishing things are going slightly awry as the series goes on. You show restraint. And then you build up, hey, someone has noticed in the far future that things are going a bit awry in the Enterprise era. And then you start, don't just throw concepts like Temporal Cold War in your first 30 minutes. It's so cack-handed and without restraint. When minus the decon scene and a few other bits and pieces, this is actually a fairly restrained show. Like, yeah, you get, like, silo explosions and a fair amount of, like, TNA, but, like, in terms of throwing all this plot at you, it handles it fairly well, apart from this one thing. <laughs> I, I mean, I certainly have never thought about that before. You know, mm. the Temporal Cold War stuff. The, to go back to Idol's first question of, you know, what you expected Enterprise to be, you know, like in a show about the founding of the Federation, you mm. know, you certainly wouldn't expect to there for there to be suddenly Temporal Cold War. <gasps> Yeah, like, like should I say, that's a season three thing you you throw yeah. in. Absolutely, but it's like, a bootstrap not... paradox. The Federation Actually. being caused by the fact of the Federation being caused. You know, <laughs> mm. it's a symptom of its own success. Um, yeah, like if you're the first sci-fi show, just don't throw people like that at yeah. people. But they're going to be scared. <laughs> they will be afraid. Leave that to the Twelve Monkeys people, who you know, directed by Terry mm. Matlas, who ended up Star Trek Picard. Oh no, wait, it's happened again. Um. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can do time travel stuff easily. Like it's done really well in Strange New Worlds. Uh, towards the yeah. end of the show, like yeah, it's it's done well in Discovery. But Star Trek First Contact is a good time. Travel Absolutely, thing. yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking and of, I suppose the... you could make the argument that it's intrinsic to the DNA because first contact is well, yeah. so important for this. Oh yes. It's like you even have yeah. the Zeph from Cochrane, which is a really nice way of doing right. the handoff, right? It's a lovely um, touch. Well, they directly connect but... to it later in the series, like they literally yes, do. Well, it. that's also very cackhanded. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, um, one one yeah. thing I do, one thing I do like, uh, if it, there is a little nod back to something outside of Trek here as well, is like the whole. The if you want to see what the whole human Vulcan. Um, conflict would be like if they had done a year's worth of sort of um you know before enterprise got off of earth watch a show called earth final conflict which was also a pitch idea by gene roddenberry that was developed into a five series um uh five series series uh about a group of aliens called the talon who came to earth and 
repressed the human culture from expanding too quickly whilst also introducing their own nefarious methods so i think that that was kind of recycled from that but i think yeah if they had if they had done the whole season before everyone would have gone ah earth final conflict did it first yeah which was a roddenberry it also starred major roddenberry but um i think it is also time for stars i need you to give me your rating for are we not going to give our best performance Okay, please give you your best performances. Okay, uh, racing your best performance. Ooh, uh, I mean, Jolene Blaylock is fantastic. Mm. Not just in Broken Bad, but I think in Enterprise as a whole. Um, she plays T'Pol so fantastically well. Like, you know, because I, you know, like I think as an actor to play someone from a species who has repressed emotions, it would be so easy to play them two-dimensional. But T'Pol is so like multifaceted like um you know she isn't just the you know she doesn't just like monotone um you know i am picking up something on sensors you know like <laughs> she is appreciate the use of sensors there sensors yes <laughs> like she is just such a fascinating character and like you know like in the same way that we you know we see archer kind of like acknowledge like oh, okay maybe i do need to work on some personal shit if i want to be better like topol does that as well in broken bone like she kind of sees you know literally firsthand all of these humans working through this thing together and you see like by the end of the episode you know her and you know her internal monologue is probably actually maybe i've misjudged humans a little bit Maybe There's a concession, they, yeah. You know, maybe they aren't as helpless as we've been telling them they are for the past 100 years. Um, yeah. And I think that is a really interesting point that builds on kind of T'Pol and Archer's uh, Captain First Officer relationship that um, kind of you that really hits well in part one and two of Shockwave. Mm. Like, you'd see that, like, you know, like... Um, uh, like, because, you know, as I said, like we're watching, uh, rewatching, and re, re, rewatching Enterprise just now, and um, <laughs> and like, and you know, like I always notice that when the time you get to Shockwave, like they actually have a really good working relationship, and it's the fact that um, when Archer is stranded in the future with Daniels, like he says to Paul, like I need you to trust me, and she does trust him. You know, it. You know, they're not second guessing each other at that point, trying to figure out what the other motivations are. Like, you know, Archer isn't thinking, "Oh, was she gonna tell all this to Ambassador Saval?" And to Paul's, like, "God, he's such an idiot." You know, like they've managed to like work out and yet to get. So anyway, what what I'm trying to say is that Jolene Blaylock is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like uh, to, to cotton on to your point, like you're right that she absolutely makes a concession to Archer. It's like, I will make the request myself at the very end of the episode. And I think uh, Idol, I think uh, it was Idol, Idol or Shy was pointing saying, well, we, like, it kind of comes out of nowhere that she's like, oh, well, I, maybe there is something to these humans after all. But I appreciate that that's allowed to be a mystery for a moment. She's allowed to be mysterious and unknown it's like what is your game here are you a spy or is there something a bit more to your interest here and as we find out in like you know the episode like flux there is a genuine interest in human culture and i feel we played that states. too late though that 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 switch from just suddenly like i'm just here because i was ordered to to suddenly i give a shit was very quick 
Like that was that. What I felt they could have. Well, that's the thing. For, for what they, they shouldn't they have spent on the Cold later. War, they should have put on to 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 poll assimilating to human culture a little bit. But I well, mean, like yeah. to be fair, like during the rest of like like early season one, like you do see more of Topol's kind of like mm. adjusting mm. to life on yeah. Enterprise and realizing that like maybe they're not so bad, you know? That gentleman with the like southern accent with the is quite nights. attractive. That <laughs> <laughs> is. Um my personal favorite performance uh I'm I'm gonna I'm not gonna take the easy route. I'm not gonna say flocks, I'll leave that for one of you basic bitches. Um <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and say, you know what? I actually really appreciate John Fleck in this. Um okay. he's the actor who plays Silibar. Um he uh, he plays um Silly. You mean F. Murray Abraham, right? Well the, yeah, he's, the, he's, he's great just in Amadeus. His performance in Amadeus is really excellent. Mm. Deluxe performance. Um, because the Cillabon would be so easy to dismiss as just like you know, a discount X Files villain. Like they are, they are of the same kind of like cut the same cloth. But he has such an interesting cadence. It's the fact that like, unlike almost any other sci-fi villain or Star Trek villain, he does not default to calling Archer human because that's so easy. He goes straight to John. And he has the future knowledge angle. That was quite cool. And it's, Hello, John. Like, yeah, yeah no, it's like, John. yeah, it, it's the it's the difference of like I, I'm I'm gonna use a, another example here. In James Bond movies, for like 15 of them, you have villains who call James Bond Mr. Bond or you know 007 or whatever. And then in Goldeneye, you have your first James Bond villain who will call him James right out of the gate. And that familiarity immediately breeds a more interesting dynamic, and that does actually get picked up on in that's, later episodes where we like Silicon Q, Archer yeah. have an antagonist arc. That's why we're like Q saying, and, "Oh, Jean Luc," you know, he doesn't go Mister Picard or exactly. you know, Jean Luc, and that feels it does feel more personal when the villain has that connection. But yeah, precisely, and it's like it's also a degree of of, of creepiness, and like yeah. that's the only part of the Temporal Cold War that like has any kind of bite to it is not the idea that you're going to change things but the idea that you know how things are going to play out and how you can use that to manipulate me is way more interesting sorry should i, I go briefly on thought like you were, I, I briefly thought you were referring to q in the james bond franchise I was like, <laughs> oh yeah that's true <laughs> Where did Jean-Luc 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 Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc. <laughs> okay <laughs> ah, that would be some james bond movie oh, yeah, i'm gonna jump that. uh Jump on the bandwagon with racing liners. Uh, Jolene Blaylock is is uh, other than her wig is, is perfect, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> like, perfectly doing Vulcan here. Yeah. I mean, you don't you don't get any other other than uh, Savic and Valeris in the movies. She has nothing to, really strong to draw on other than uh, Leonard mm. Nimoy's performance and Mark Leonard's. Um, well, to Pring as well, she, to agree, but there's not very little yeah. of that. There's very little of that in her. Yeah. Well, Tupring is excellent. That's true, but uh, mm. she actually draws a little bit from Tupring. Come to think of it, because she maybe the standoffishness. Tup- yeah. Well, there's what Tupring had, and what Jolene Laylock really brings to it that Nimoy had was an ability to uh, show a range of emotions underneath the seemingly mm. emotionless yes. logic. Like when I other actors do it, all you know, all respect to the other actors, like Saval's actor, but. Oftentimes when people do Vulcan, they come off as like kind of snide and condescending mm. and or, or just sort of uh, very, you know, stentorian. And stiff. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. So Blaylock was able to bring an ease to it. So she ha she was snide, but she was in a much more relaxed, sort of confident way. Mm -hmm. um, you can see the little bits of respect and emotion towards the end, like in that scene that she had towards Archer. And that's what sold the suddenness of it for me. I, mm -hmm. you know, I know you felt it was too sudden, but I, I think Blaylock's performance sold it. Uh, and her 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 abs make me do you know sit ups <laughs> constantly like i it's she's great fitness motivation i'm like i gotta exercise right now and, uh, i need to sit yeah. in this ultraviolet room and cover myself in gel and do twenty thousand push-ups uh well, i, I am, do that but... i am gonna be the basic bitch and say flocks because <laughs> Any no no because no seriously because no, it's, it's fair he's so good it's so game. good yeah, like yeah. like for a character we have not been introduced to ever before within like two lines you've got exactly his personality is a little bit cheeky he's he's not in, he he is a little bit sort of you know finding the whole thing quite amusing like he has no real cares it's just operating on this Klingon and all of a sudden all his lungs just came out look and look here's this Suleiman over here look at his eyes isn't it fantastic like you know he's just very like I've never operated on a live one before exactly I was like, yeah. you know, I, was like, oh, I just joined the starship well, he's like he's like sort of like the person who's just had a few too many drinks and then just all of a sudden just found himself on various places like I'm just on this starship now I'm the mechanic I have this cage of bats I must feed them something let's put this eel on you fuck it I don't know what the fuck I'm doing you know and for John Billingsley to sort of like all of a sudden like bring this kind of affluent character that sort of and so much in love with what he does and also has a little bit of depth to him as well because you have a little bit of seriousness when sort of he's leading Hoshi on a little bit and she's trying to translate for the Klingon he's like yes I know the problem here let's just put this on here so he's talking absolute bollocks uh, nothing wrong with you my dear <laughs> um, uh, you know, uh, you know it, it's, it shows depth and I you know I give full credit to John Billingsley for being able to sell the performers because they could have easily hired someone that wasn't as good and it came out bad i think they like there was absolutely perfect There's a degree casting. of charisma needed yeah. for it absolutely and and the fact that john billingsley himself as like you said in the shell pod one uh podcast was kind of unsure on the character as well like he thought it was a kind of bird person didn't he like to get the, the table race he was trying to squawk i was like am i doing this yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of speaks volumes to how it, they adapted the character. Uh, but okay, stars, give us your rating, please. What are we rating this out of? All right, how many uh, monochromatic strippers with elongated tongues eating uh... butterflies out of ten? <laughs> would you like to give this episode? <laughs> I give it. I give it ten. I'll give it ten. I'll take as many as possible. <laughs> All right, Reed. That's Start, oh. uh, racing, please. Your Elongated tongues out of ten. Seventeen or one out of ten. No, um, <laughs> like you know, um, yes, I am a very biased Enterprise fan, and it is my, one of my favourite treks, and I adore it, and I recognise that. Yes, it has many flaws. Yes, it didn't find its feet until series three and four, but um. Mm solid 9 out of 10. Ooh. Mm. 8.75 for 9 out of 10. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Stars. Um, for me, I think Racing said it best when she said that out of all the pilots, in terms of translating what the you know series Bible, what the series pitch is about, 
from script to screen, Emissary and this do it easily the best. Like, it doesn't have any of the logical problems of um, Caretaker. It doesn't have any of the, we're sorting out, we're in a different century, we have no idea what the fuck, you don't want to know what the writer's room looks like of TNG. You don't have any of the stiltedness or the, you know, early installment weirdness or, you know, like, over the cage. It just is immediately fully formed as essentially what is, is going to be going forward. Like things will change, like characters will change and writing will refine and arcs will come and go. But essentially what this is, is enterprise from the word go. And while you do have stuff at like the decon scene and some of the script writing trips, which I mentioned before that drag it down, it has a through line that makes sense. It introduces you to the world. The characters make sense. And it just works. The pacing holds it all together. There's an obvious, like, there's obvious stakes here that are established. There's a bit of visual flair. You get a bit of action. You get a little bit of um, pontificating about society and culture and space exploration. Like, it just kind of hits on all the points that you want. Like, if you want to sell Star Trek to someone, either this or Emissary, I feel like are best at translating what the show is essentially trying to be about. So I'd give us an 8 out of 10 monochromatic mm. alien strippers with elongated tongues eating butterflies out of 10. Shy. Yeah, I I also give it an 8 out of 10. This is a really solid pilot. It mm. it It's really well shot. It's really... Uh, well, you were even commenting on like the weird uh, Mannheim effect, special effect. They do yeah. that special effect with the camera moving, and that's, that's not... That's yeah. pretty good, yeah. 2000, I... 2001, you know, that's... That's a tough visual effect. So this is it's it's really solid. Uh I I don't know if the entire series lives up to the promise. Certainly the first season doesn't mm. live up to the promise of this. Mm. Uh second and third and fourth seasons start to pick up pretty well. And I, I I like I like a lot of the, the later season arcs that happen. Um but this this pilot's really good. Yeah. So oh, you idle. I'll save the last two for myself. I <laughs> I'm debating between a seven. Uh, <laughs> I debate between a seven or an eight because, like, I, I'm put. I, the things that put me off are Archer's attitude, are the sun. Like I said, the sun turned shift to Paul. The whole temporal war sort of tease, and the whole sort of multitude of everything thrown in. The veneer of this is sort of like we're getting a bit tired of the TNG formula, and like this sort of feels a little bit like Brandon Braga and uh, Rick Berman sort of like sort of attempts to keep things going in an era that is starting to change in television. Um, I think I've got to go seven. I think I, mm. I, I I agree with a lot of you. Like this does this does feel like a good introduction to a series that could be. Like this is, you know, overlooking Archer's sort of um, eager tenacity. Um, you know, the characters were introduced well. There was a lot of promise for Mayweather and Hoshi that never develops. But as of this episode, we were like, yeah, this is cool. I like, I love Trip. Trip's one of my favorite characters in all of Trip. Yeah, you know what? Yeah. yeah. I feel like we have to give uh, credit to Connor Trinic. Because, like, yeah. I feel like, you know, Scott Bakula does the best we can because I don't feel like Archer was ever quite a character he could quite inhabit. Because um, it's not quite playing to his strengths. Jolene Blalock is flawless. So I will not hear a word against her. Um, <laughs> yeah. Donna Keaton does the best he can with what Reed, little Reed is given. Whenever he gets something, he does it great. John Billingsley is a revelation. Um, but like Connor Trenier, like they have to refine what is going on with Trip a little bit because he's a little bit more abrasive here than he is for the rest of the season. 
uh, of the rest of the show rather. But he's still great. Like Keep stuff like shirt, kids, like, play with slang. <laughs> yeah, no, that <laughs> scene is hilarious. <laughs> I kind of wish that they could drill down more on Reed and Trip because that's an amazing friendship. Yeah. Um, but well, also, I'm just like my beloved. Exactly. Um, and like, I love his, um, the, the energy he gives to Clang when it's like, I don't particularly like the way you smell <laughs> Yeah, like, <laughs> that's, a, that's a good moment. He, just, yeah. he sells it so well. And it's like, I have to give credit mm. to him. I love Connor Trinet, and he's never given a bad performance in all of track. I love yeah. Him. So I think, you know, Can I, uh, cool. I was gonna, I, I don't want to. Finish, finish your thought, and then I want to ask a postscript question about. about okay, uh, no, I think I, I think I'll settle for a seven. I, I think there are things they could have done better with the pace. Uh, not necessarily the pacing. I think the pacing was fine. I would have liked a little plot points like the female Sulabon. That whole sort of plot point didn't really serve to go anywhere other than sort of divert them to Rigel to kind of explore a new space. Um, but did you need a decon gel scene with the female? Yeah, sure. Why not? You uh, know. Okay. <laughs> Uh, she was acting sultry enough, so yeah, you know why not? Yeah, that, that was it. The point, yeah, that was another thing. Like the point is, is like I need physical contact to assess if I trust someone. And her yeah. kissing Archer is just like, Berman. no, yeah. come on, you didn't need to do that. Yeah, you, you, everyone <laughs> scores for this rise up to like, by mm. one point fully if you take the Rick Bermanisms out of this. Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it would have, it would have been maybe an eight or a nine for me, but uh, I think a seven, like, which is still very good. Like, I still enjoy this episode for what it is quite a lot. Um, but yeah, go on, shy. Uh, yeah, my postscript question: uh, Is Scott Bakula the right actor for this role? I don't know. This is debated a lot. People debate this a lot. See, I would say yes, because the caveat is, you know, look at who he becomes in Series 4. Like, Series 4 Archer is, Hmm. you know... You know, like, yeah, like, I don't mind it. Um, You know, like, you do get to see, you know, throughout the series like you know his growth and his um change and his kind of like outlook especially post zindi war um like the um first episode you know of series four when he's speaking to captain hernandez and he's like you know you know he's kind about of, that scene is you know he's expressing his concerns like, you know like i think i've changed like i wanted to be an explorer and now i'm mm. a soldier i think i lost something out there mm. yeah and, and then he sleeps with her of... on, a, on a mountain <laughs> sorry sorry <laughs> um you know i you know i Thanks, think Berman. the issue <laughs> you know um and i discussed this with friends who are enterprise fans a lot you know um i think with archer it's not necessarily the casting because i do genuinely think that as episodes where scott Bakula does a really good job it's more the fact that he was very inconsistently written like mm. um like to echo back to your point stars you know like he would make a few steps forward and then he'd kind of stumble back a bit um because in the same way that the writers were trying to figure out who trip was i think they Mm. were trying to figure out who archer was and when you are when you are having your captain your lead you kind of need to know who your lead and your captain is Mm, um because you know and it's like in terms of Scott Bakula's capability to carry the show, yeah, he does that really well. Um, for, for me personally, um, yeah, I just think 
it's less with Archer, it's less the issue of casting and more of the inconsistent writing. And also, you know, I've obviously we've all mentioned like the flaws of Enterprise, like you know, a lot of the issue with Enterprise is because it is the Trek series that Rick Berman had the most involvement in. And a lot of the times it shows. Like, you know, not just from a production perspective, because like he actually wrote a lot of episodes as well. And um, He was credited on this episode, in fact. Yeah. You can tell. Um, yeah. There's lots of moments where you can tell that Rick Berman just put his big old massive sweaty hand right on the script. And it's like, for God's sake, just... Yeah, because you know, to hark back to my point about series four, because that's when Manny Koto took over as showrunner, mm. and the difference, you know, the fact that you have all these like little mini arcs and like, you know, like to me, like I always say, like series four of Enterprise is what Enterprise should have been, mm, absolutely, you know, because yeah. it yep. explores stuff with the Vulcans. We have the whole Kiyoshara arc, which is absolutely <clears throat> amazing. It's one of my favorite mm. arcs in Star Trek ever. Yeah, agreed. Um, yeah, and like you know, yeah. you know, and it's the fact that like um, you know, like Broken Bow Archer would not have done the stuff that mm. Kishara, you know, like they are different archers completely. Um, like you know, Archer wouldn't have, you know, Broken Bow Archer wouldn't have gone to the extent that he did if the Kishara stuff happened in series one. You know, he wouldn't have given much of a toss. Um, you, know, <laughs> you know, even if it, you know, like maybe he would only start caring like when. He, you know, like when it's found out that T'Pol's mother's involved, you know, it's the fact that, you know, in the Kishar, he, he is concerned from the word go about what is happening on Vulcan. And, mm. you know, and the fact that one of his dearest friends, Admiral Forrest, died as, oh, God. Spoilers. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Forrest. Um, right, so, yeah, yeah, broken bow. <laughs> Sorry. Funny um, enough. All good. Funny enough, did Sorry, you know no. that um, uh, the original name for Archer was going to be Jackson. He was going to be Jackson Archer. But, anyway. Yeah. Jackson? Yeah. I don't think it would have fit him. Don't think it would have fit him. So, to basically try and summarise myself to answer Shai's point, yes, Bacula was the right choice. Inconsistent writing was the issue, not necessarily the casting. For me, um, Scott Bakula, I think, is a very talented actor. I think he is very good at acting. I think he is very good, especially at conveying warmth and companionship and understanding. Um, and that is why he is not necessarily always a good fit for Archer, because Archer is a character who is essentially carrying around a good amount of pain with him at almost any time. He is carrying around the pain of losing his father before he got to see his dream fulfilled. He is carrying around the expectations of an entire planet. He is carrying around the guilt of everything that happened in the Expanse. He is carrying around the relationship, uh, uh, the responsibility of like 83 lives, a lot of which get lost. And the problem with um, Scott Bakula is that I feel like he's a great companionable actor, but I don't ever... Like, when I think of some of his more emotionally resonant scenes, when I think of um, his speech to the Vulcans and the Tellarites and the Andorians about exploring the final frontier together, or when I think about, I think I've lost something out in the Expanse because of what he was forced to do, I don't ever think, wow, Scott Bakula brought something really amazing to that scene. I think that is a well-written scene and Scott Bakula acted it well. I don't ever find myself emotionally connecting to him in the same way that I do with Picard when he has the breakdown in family or 
um, to Janeway when she is absolutely betrayed by Cash's counterpoint, or when like Cisco is like like kind of losing touch with reality and Rapture, I genuinely believe that Avery Brooks is in that moment. Whereas Scott Bakula, there's always a feeling of disconnect, and I don't feel like it's his fault. I feel like it's a case of the character and the and the actor just do not always like. There's always like a kind of a, a sliding overlay of tracing paper right <laughs> and like every now and then it slips from like 70 percent to 90 percent but it's never 100 percent. i never 100 percent buy him as the first captain in starfleet um yeah, I, I think i have the same and i concerns, don't blame yeah. him for it um and it's like i feel like it's not a case if he lacks emotional conviction i just feel like he is asked of some i don't know it's just this weird thing where I don't. I feel like a different actor would bring more to it, but he is still a perfectly good actor. I just don't feel like he's a good fit for it. Like it's. I think Jobeck is a very talented guy. It's just something is just not quite there, and that's. Uh, yeah. You know what? I'll be nebulous. I'll be the TV reviewer critic. He's he's missing that 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 captain quality, quote unquote. Ooh. You know that that je ne sais quoi. Listen, yeah, that I can't say what. Racing's never um, coming back on again after this. <laughs> you know, we've been sitting there just trapping oh, and everything. Bridges, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, Simpson. server. <laughs> Sorry. What do you think, Idol? Um, yeah, I think a lot of the same stuff that Stars said. Like, I, I felt like there was something... He didn't feel like he almost didn't want to be in the role or there was a little bit like you no know, he obviously wanted to be in the role because he, he was being paid for it and he was acting his heart out for it but mm. there was almost like a level of excuse me scott bacula to archer the there was sort of like missing that connection between the two mm. um but yeah i i think like he he never had his inspirational moment the same way picard or cisco or janeway did like he never had his uh, moment where we stood out in front, you know, he stood out in front of people and sort of had his inspirational speech, or he did his service for, like, you know, sacrifice for the ship, or like in in a meaningful way, and didn't at the same time he didn't really have his light-hearted moments or as many of them either. He had his little nods and his winks to trip here and there, but he never had his. He's a very you know stand captain. He doesn't get to do that very yeah, often. Yeah, he he never had yeah. his standing in front of the admiral going, oh, "I'm something of a role model," or you know, sitting there building a <laughs> clock, going, "A clock." You know, the way the Cisco did, you know, it never really sort of had his humorous moments to go the other side. He was sort of very one note. He is Captain Archer. This is what you're going to get. Deal with it. <laughs> Which is kind of... You know what it is? Yeah. He's allowed to make serious mistakes, but he's not allowed to be goofy. I feel like he's yeah. part of the problem with yeah. his writing. I can't think of any goofy Archer moments, and I feel like... Apart from the, maybe like, the we... chainsaw when he's wearing the dress thing, that was probably about as close yeah, as he got. Yeah, but even then, it's like, yeah, it's like the situational comedy of it. It's not really yeah. like he has, like... Like, part of the fun of Picard is his, his own awkwardness. That is self-manufactured. Mm. Picard is just like that, whereas, like, Archer <laughs> Anytime, never felt that anything was yeah. goofy because of him. Archer um, needed a Loaxana like, Troy. Like, he needed someone that made him feel uncomfortable the way the same way that Picard did, because that was the best power. Well, you know what? Yeah. Guess they did, what? but they killed her off in the pilot. <laughs> no, you know what? Here's the problem, right? Jonathan Archer and Scott Bakula are at their best when he is playing opposite Jeffrey Coombs and Shran. Their yeah. relationship makes me believe okay, in yeah. Archer. It is 
something about their chemistry that is that missing like just what if you gave me broken bow but shran was just built into the show as an as impartial observer part of the 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 in turning the trio into a quadrilogy so that you have like shran Archer, Trip, and Topol as your qua- as your quadrio, like stapled on that. Have to wait for you. Like, I feel like <laughs> like instead of the temporal cold war, you have the Andorians sort of watching yes, the story immediately yeah. straight up. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. and suddenly, because there's something about Jeffrey Coombs that makes Scott Bakula just throw himself into it. There is something about that. It's it's like on Quantum Leap, where it's like um, as uh, Dean Stockwell, like yeah. their yeah, chemistry is in right. yeah, it's it's incalculable how good the chemistry is, and Jeffrey Coombs brings something out in Scott Bakula that is incredibly compelling, and that is what I feel is missing from Archer, and why it works so well whenever Strand turns up. There's just something about him that challenges Bakula, and that I feel like it's almost like Bakula is finding the role too easy like he's not being asked enough of him and he's not being asked to stretch himself sometimes and it's like when he's asked to he can do pretty damn well just yeah yeah maybe that's part of the problem yeah like i agree with racing and and both of you in in a strange way i I think he's Mm. the right actor but i think the writers weren't writing for it they weren't writing for scott bacula they were writing the character that appeared on the page Mm. in the Mm. pilot and for the rest of the series, they just kept writing that that like character breakdown for the rest of the mm. series. Like the best sort of like lightest moment that we were talking about, I don't know if we mentioned it in this review or well during the watch through was when he gets transported from the ship. That's the first time <laughs> yeah. like a human has been and he's, he's just grasping at himself, yeah. wondering like if he's all there. It's a yeah. great little quiet moment, but it's sort of the first bit of mm. lightness that we see out of Archer. Um, yeah, Scott Bakula's tremendously. Yeah, yeah. Bakula's like he's a Broadway performer. They never had him sing or dance on the show. I don't understand that. Like on TNG, like they wrote to what they knew Patrick Stewart could do. He was a Shakespearean actor. He had done generals. He had done kings. So they they wrote him like that. But then once they started to realize, oh, Patrick Stewart's funny, they started to write. Yeah. Jean-Luc Picard with some when, little... When he's in the bar, when he's in the impersonated uh, Picard, when they sing along with everyone in the bar and he's sort of reveling in it and like making everyone feel slightly awkward. Like, that was... Yeah. Somehow. Right. Anyway, and, Broken uh, Bow. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, this is <laughs> what I'm talking it. about. We do, like, we do, yeah. You yeah. can see part of yeah. the problems with like what they set out to do versus what they actually did, which yeah. I think... Right, the Enterprise, the Enterprise writers, I don't think, fully understood the ingredients that they had. No. Either yeah. not just not just with Bacula, but also with like Anthony Montgomery, the, yeah, Dominic Keating. I I don't think they understood with Linda Park as well. Like they yeah. they all tell performers in that way. Underused and disrespected. Absolutely, Absolutely. yeah. Too right. And that's kind yeah. of Rick Berman's fault. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Okay. Uh, okay. So yeah. That's our review of Broken Bow and most of Enterprise as well. I think. We have, but we have yeah, strong, we got a lot to say. Guess what? Yeah. There is a lot to talk about with Enterprise. Because here's the thing, right? When Enterprise fails, it at least does so in a way that I find interesting and can talk about and analyze why it goes wrong. When when something like Voyager, for example, turns out a shitty episode, it's often just a case of like this script is just stupid, or that actor was just wrong, or something. It's like very easy to point out. But whereas like, Enterprise, 
someone is at least trying. Someone is always giving a hundred percent. It just doesn't always focus in the right way, and it's that's more interesting to talk about in a way. You're suggesting there's not an alien planet in the Delta Quadrant that is just made up of a Greek chorus. <laughs> I love it. I'm so <laughs> like sorry. Full... Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> 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 Alright. <laughs> Racing, thank you so much for joining us this episode. Will thank you come you back and watch some more? Thank you very much for having me. Will you come back and watch some more Enterprise with us? Hell yeah! There we go. And we promise we won't trash on it quite so hard. <laughs> but to be fair, we trashed on it uh, on Caretaker. We gave it worse reviews, so I think we I think we'll oh, be we always keep on both yeah. barrels. Oh, but we, uh, we way better than Caretaker. Yeah. Way better. Uh, Starshy, thank you for joining us. Uh, we will be back uh, soon with our next Star Trek Trek Trek, which we're going to decide. I think we're going to go on to do Discovery, aren't we? I think we decided. We I'd like gonna... to do. Yeah, let's do. Oh, let's do that. Wait a minute. Hold on. Why are we? Why haven't we done the Man Trap yet? <laughs> Why haven't we done the fake Star Trek TOS pilot? We did the real one. We're getting the real one. No, uh, maybe we did we'll. the fake one. Should, maybe should we do one. where no one has gone before? Yeah, which pilot no, do you want? We could be here doing pilots for years and years. Man Trap <laughs> is the first Star Trek that aired. Maybe Respect we'll, uh, the chronology. Maybe we'll, uh, we'll talk to our subs about that. You're but, um... perpetrating a real temporal Cold War right now by trying to erase the Man Trap from the continuity of Star Trek. Listen, I celebrate Star Trek Day the same as everyone on the airing date of the Man Trap, so I am with you on that one. But uh, anyway, from everyone here, we will be back very soon. Keep an eye on the YouTube channel, and if you have not subscribed to our Twitch channel, go and do that, and you can get some goodies on our Discord channel. So from our guys, live long and prosper, and hopefully we will reach this broken bow once again. Ta-ra! <laughs>